in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. The assurance that we have that we are, in fact, his children and will be saved for all eternity. We learn in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for good to accomplish God's plan for his children. Romans 8.28, it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are called according to his purpose. That purpose or plan is summarized in verse 29 in two parts. It's not exhaustive, but it is representative of God's plan. And that is first to conform us to the image of his son, verse 29. And then secondly, in order to make us a part of God's family. End of verse 29, in order that he might be firstborn among many brethren. The plan of God is being accomplished. God is working out what God had predetermined ahead of time that he would do. God, in fact, is doing what he determined to do. That's found in Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this morning we want to look at the way in which God is accomplishing his plan. Three activities are described in verse 30 of God. That is, he called us, he justified us, and he glorified us. Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified And those who he justified, he also glorified. There are a couple of key words in this passage that we want to be emphasizing this morning. First is the word he, focusing our attention that it is God who performs each and every one of these actions. Notice, starting at Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So all of these verbs have God as their subject. God is doing each of these activities that are bringing about the accomplishment of his plan. In Ephesians 1 verse 11 it says, In whom we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is working everything out in keeping with his plan. That's why in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called in accordance with his purpose. The second word we want to note this morning is the word those. Those. Those focuses our attention upon the specific group of people that are benefactors from God's actions. This is not everybody on the face of the earth. There are a particular group of people who are benefactors of these actions of God. 
Notice Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, two main emphasis. God is at work in the lives of those. And so we want to unpack that this morning. Thirdly, we should notice that there is an order or sequence of events on the part of God. That is, he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. Last week, we stressed the, uh, well, two weeks ago, we stressed the fact that the word foreknow means to have a relationship to God beforehand. That relationship is now demonstrated in his activity that he manifests for those whom he foreknew. Namely, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies. So we want to look at these activities, but we're not going to look at them in a very balanced way. Uh, Predominantly, we're going to look at the first activity, and that is he calls. Then we will very briefly look at he justifies, and then a little more fully, we'll look at he glorifies. But first, we want to look at this activity of God. Those whom God predetermined, God calls. Notice verse 30. And those whom he predestined, predestined means simply to determine beforehand, and we noted two, three weeks ago that it's before we had done any good or evil, before we were born, and even before the foundation of the world. God had a plan, a predestined or predetermined end. And so, those whom he predestined, predetermined, he also called. So we want to be looking at this thought of God's call this morning and recognize that there is two aspects in which this word is used in the scripture. The first is of a general call of God. Uh, An invitation, if you will and often associated with an invitation to salvation. Matthew twenty-two fourteen says, For many are called, but few are chosen. That means that the gospel is offered to all, but there are only a few out of all those that are offered that are actually chosen. Then there is an effectual call unto salvation. That is, that God works in the lives of some to actually bring them unto himself, so that they will in fact, answer his call. Call is there used not in terms of an invitation, but as a summons, such as a subpoena, a call to jury duty, or a call to military service in which you are drafted. All right? So there is this effectual call in which God actually brings about our response to the gospel message. And it is that call, that effectual call, that we are looking at this morning. R.C. Sproul refers to the call in this way, and I quote, when we talk about the called or the elect, we mean those who have been summoned, not only outwardly, but also inwardly by the Spirit, who changes the disposition of their hearts 
and effects the transformation of their souls, the resurrection from spiritual death to spiritual life, if we are believers today, it is not because we made God's call effectual in our lives, it is because God did it. We are called according to his purpose, end of quote. So God has predetermined the outcome of the call. For notice in verse 30, it says, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. That's how we know that it's an effectual call, for it's the very same group. The people who are called are, in fact, justified. There is no one who is called, in verse 30, who is not justified. And there is no one, in verse 30, who is justified, who is not glorified. Those who are called, those who are justified, those who are justified, they're also glorified. The effectual call, those who hear and respond to the gospel, are doing so as a result of God's grace. God's call is central to the book of Romans. That's why we're spending so much time on it this morning. Uh, it is key to the book of Romans. Just listen as I work my way through Romans. It begins referring to God's call of the apostle Paul. Paul is a apostle of God as a result of God's call. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, in the book of Romans, it moves to the recipients. Romans 1.7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So now, we are loved by God and called to be saints, meaning we are called to live holy lives to the honor and glory of God. The activity of God's work is addressed to those who are called in Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things are work together for good. For those who are called according to or in keeping with his purpose. So we find out that God's calling is based on a purpose that he has for our lives, both individually and corporately. That is stressed in Romans chapter 9, referring to Jacob and Esau. In verse 11 of chapter 9, it says, Though they were not yet born, had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but of him who calls. So God's calling is to accomplish his purpose. His purpose, both individually and corporately. In Romans chapter 8, the emphasis is on God's corporate purpose in calling us. In Romans chapter 9, the, individual, the, the emphasis is on God's in purpose for calling us individually as a people of God. So God's calling is in keeping with his purpose. Not because of what we did, or even because of what we would do, he called us in keeping with his, his plan. And then lastly, God's calling extends to both Jew and Gentile. Romans 9, 24, even us whom, whom he has called. Uh, not from the Jews only, 
but also for the Gentiles. We will talk much more about that next week when we uh, move on in Romans chapter 8. But again, just talking about this call and the effectual call a little more specifically, uh, this call is referred to in the book of John chapter 10. You don't need to turn there, but let me briefly work through John chapter 10 with you this morning. Jesus said in John 10, 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the, the first thing I want to point out is Jesus is referring to himself in this particular passage as a, as a, as a uh, gatekeeper, and the sheep hear the gatekeeper's voice. And he calls them by name. Here's this aspect of this effectual individual call. In uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, we find that our names are written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. When the gospel was presented to us, and when we responded to that gospel, when we said yes to the gospel, when we exercised faith in believing the gospel, it is a result of God's call upon our individual life. It was God summoning you at that moment to faith. It was God calling you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a result, you believed. For the effectualness of that call is also given to us in Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, in John chapter 10, verse 3, for it says this, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And leads them out. He brings them out of their situation and into a relationship with himself. Jesus knows his sheep, and they know him in John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus dies for his sheep, John 10, 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus' sheep includes both Jew and Gentile, John 10, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd as the Jew and Gentile come together. Then he says this, Those who are not a part of Jesus' sheep do not believe in Jesus, John 10, 26. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now, let me read that again and listen carefully. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Notice it does not say that you are not a part of my sheep because you do not believe. It says you do not believe because you are not a part of my sheep. The only reason we believe is because of the grace of God. The only reason that we are a part of his sheep is because he has called us effectually. He has let us out. That is what makes us different from those who do not know Christ. 
It's the grace of God. So that we can't claim any goodness, we can't claim any intellectual prowess, we can't, can't claim any merit. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. All of this is leading up to how we can be assured because God is on our side. And it starts with understanding that salvation from the very beginning is the plan of God and that we are saved as a result of this activity, uh, as a result of this work of God in an individual basis of calling by name people unto himself. The result is that the sheep respond and are saved. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So the conclusion to this first point this morning is that those who belong to Jesus hear the gospel. Brothers and sisters, you shouldn't count your lucky stars this morning if you heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shouldn't say, man, we, we, we can be thankful that we live in America. Or, what, a, what an accident <laughs> that, that I was born into a Christian home and, and, and I heard the gospel. Or that someone shared the gospel with me or that I read a, a tract or whatever the case may be. It wasn't luck. It was the sovereign activity of God that you even heard the gospel. That you had the privilege of coming under the sound of the gospel. God had determined that when you heard that gospel, you'd believe. God has not only ordained the end that we should be saved, but he also has ordained the means by which we should be saved. So here's an important point for those of us who believe in election, and that is election does not render the preaching of the gospel meaningless. Let me say that again. Election does not render the preaching of the gospel meaningless. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.10 that the reason he endured all things, the reason that he endured the suffering was for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation. We are saved as a result of hearing the gospel. We have a responsibility of taking the gospel to all men. God will call some unto faith. God will save some. We take the gospel to everyone. But people will not be saved without hearing the gospel. <laughs> there is where those that don't believe in election have it wrong. When they say, well, if you believe in election, then you don't need to do anything. No, he, he also determine the means. That's Romans chapter 10. How should they call in him whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And on and on. That's Romans, that's Romans 10. <clears throat> but those who belong to Jesus 
Respond to the gospel in faith. We are saved by God's grace, not by our goodness. And all of this in keeping with God's plan. So, those whom he predetermined, he also called. Secondly, we find out that those whom he called, he also justified. Romans 8.30. Uh, we hear a lot about justification, so I'm not going to say a great deal about that. Uh, we've just been through the great sections of Romans 1 through 5 that emphasize uh, the aspect of justification. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that when we hear the gospel and respond to the gospel, the next step is that we are declared righteous, that we are now viewed holy in God's sight, that all our sins are done away, that as far as God looks upon us, we are holy and without blame before him, Ephesians chapter 1 says. So we now have no uh, anonymity with God. Uh, enmity with God. No accusation can be brought against us. That's Romans 8.33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who can find fault? If God has determined that he will find no fault, who can overthrow that? And the answer is no one. So God has declared us righteous. The third element that we want to look at this morning this third activity of God is that it says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. What is of tremendous significance in this verse is that the word glorified is in the past tense. If you uh, circle your Bible, if you make notes or something, I, I draw an arrow to the ED on glorified. That's very, very significant. Why is that important? Answer, because experientially we're not yet glorified. Experientially, okay? Experientially, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've experienced the call of God. You have responded to the gospel. Experientially, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've experienced the justification, the fact that you're now living in a relationship with God in which you are not viewed as a sinner. You are viewed as righteous and holy. But we have not yet experienced glorification. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 18, which is the broader context of these verses. Romans 8, 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this day and age in which we live, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This glory is yet future. Right now, in this present time, we are experiencing suffering, hardship. But there's going to be a time in which we are in glory. And when we are in glory, there's no, not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more suffering. There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more crying, there's not going to be any more of these untoward experiences in our life. That is future to us. Right now, we know suffering. 
If you look at Romans 8, 21. Not only are we suffering, but creation is suffering. Verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that when we are glorified, so is this creation. We are looking forward to a day when all the consequences of sin is removed from this earth. All the consequences for us and for the earth itself. When Adam and Eve sinned, the result was that there was a curse that came upon this earth. There were thistles, thorns. Man would have to work by the sweat of his brow. But when Jesus Christ returns and we are glorified, this earth is changed as well. Pollution is gone. Thistles are gone. All of the results of the fall are gone. And we live in a world like before the fall. We live in a world of paradise. We live in a world of the Garden of Eden. We live in a world where the tree of life is once again available. So this glorification is yet future. So why the past tense in Romans 8.30? Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Answer, because it's a done deal. Because in God's determination, before the foundation of the world, he had determined that he was going to call us, he was going to justify us, and he is going to glorify us. That has been determined by God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to give you a parallel thought here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Of course, Ephesians chapter 1 is that great chapter on election and on the working of God. Application comes in chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, us is an important word, we'll get into that more next week, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, now notice this, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up, notice past tense, raised us up with him and seated, past tense, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the scripture says that when Jesus Christ died, and rose again, we, those whom God calls, those whom God justifies, those whom God glorifies, we 
had been raised with him. Not that we will be raised. We have been raised. And we are seated at the right hand. Now, we are going to experience that in the future. In the future, our bodies are going to come forth from the grave. We are going to be raised, and we are going to be seated at the very right hand of God. We are going to enjoy eternity with God. All of that accomplished by Christ's death, all of that secured at Christ's death, all of that in the mind of God having taken place when Christ rose and was seated at Christ at God's right hand. Done deal. Has nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with our faithfulness. Nothing to do with anything about us. This was God's predetermined plan. That's what he did. That's what he has accomplished. And so, we are, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are those who are called, justified, and glorified. Already done. That's why it's building up to Romans 8, where it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If, if God has already done all of this, there is nothing to fear. There, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's not if I am in the presence of God. It's when I am in the presence of God. Our confidence in our salvation rests solely in God. We don't save ourselves. He saves us from the beginning to the end. Salvation is his plan. Salvation is his working. Salvation is his grace. We are the recipients. We are the benefactors. And so we are not to thank our lucky stars, nor are we to pat ourselves on the back, but rather we're to say thankful. Thank you, God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your purpose. We didn't reach up and bring Jesus down out of heaven. You sent your son down upon heaven. We didn't ask Christ to die for us. You sent him to die for us. It is all of God. It is all of his grace. Again, so Romans 8, 31, the concluding verse. What then shall we say to these things if God be for us, who can be against us? Next week, we just move on in this great chain of, of verses, and we're going to come to verses 31 and 32, and uh, I would really encourage you to come back for that, for it is a, just a, a tremendous portion of God's Word to bring us confidence in our salvation this morning. But 
I just remind you today that we can have confidence in our relationship with God for those whom he foreknew, he predestined, those whom he predestined, he called, those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. No question, if we know Jesus as our Savior, that we are going to be with him for all eternity. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this great truth, and the Lord comfort us in this great reality to know that you who have begun a good work in this will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ, that, that you have called us, you have justified us, and yes, you even have glorified us. You have made that a certainty. It is a certitude. It is an absolute that we are going to be in your presence. And your name, our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life before the very foundation of the earth. Thank you, our Father, for this wonderful gift of salvation that you have given to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.